Peace, power, blessings, everyone. We are back again. This is the Pitch Podcast with your host, Satchel Page. Uh, you can check me out on the Dope Media Network. Also on iTunes, uh, the Pitch Podcast, Dope Media Network, and Satchel Player. Uh, download the Satchel app on your phone and go ahead and search the Pitch. Uh, got a lot of other cool podcasts on there. Comp Beatdown, hosted by Bloggy Benilla and Silent G. The Roguish Gent, hosted by Thecka Jones. Uh, Pearl River Podcast, hosted by Patrick Jerome. Uh, you know how we do. We're all about preservation of the funk in here, inside the man room. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Crown Royal. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Crown Roll and the uh, my favorite drink, the weapon of choice, the Royal Flush. Uh, I got a special guest in here this time, uh, esteemed wordsmith, <laughs> poet, thinker, philosopher, psychologist, yeah, the uh, <laughs> the doctor formerly known as Urban Raw. Going and going and uh, introduce yourself. Yo, what's up, everybody? How y'all doing? <laughs> he didn't say his name or nothing. <laughs> yeah, know me. I mean, I mean, I'm a bit notorious. Okay, I mean, some people don't know me. This is Nathan Harper, aka Urban Raw, um, semi-retired poet. Semi-retired, you know. I think I'm about three quarters retired. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's the older bit. you get, the more retired you, you know, get. Yeah, I'm just, you know, like. I hear, I listen to Seely and like the talks we have, and I just Seely ain't got no kids. Yeah, yeah, that's gotta be it because I just don't know how you do it, man. Like he ain't got no kids. He have like designated work times where his wife can't interrupt him. And he's a writer, like professionally. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's like you kind of have to do that because the talks we have, we be like, you know, sometimes it, it's just hard to like creatively. Tell somebody exactly. you you need to shut the hell up and sit your ass down somewhere. <laughs> and do you know the other thing he got going for him? You take any one of Seeley McInnes's English classes at Jackson State, your ass gonna be writing the whole time. Yeah, yeah, you gonna, you, you gonna write, have some stuff to write about. He write. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so he got like plenty of time built into it. Yes, yes, indeed. That's what's up. All right, so, um. Yeah, I got Nathan Harper in here, and uh, we I wanted to talk about, and I don't know why, I just I just want to talk about just different stuff. Uh, but I think th- this came from, we had like a little brief debate or whatever yep. on Instagram, because I have mentioned, and I, I, I believe in my heart, uh, that James Brown's Black Caesar mm-hmm. soundtrack is the greatest black exploitation, the greatest soundtrack of all soundtrackdom. Uh, you can debate Tammy Terrell if you so choose, <laughs> or Bobby Bird debate him. Yeah, like, um, but this is something that I think that that, that we both uh, hold kind of near and dear to our hearts is is the uh, the black exploitation era. It, yeah, it was really like an art form to do a proper. Black exploitation soundtrack. Like, yes. like anybody do it. Exactly. Not everybody was invited to do it. You had to have like a certain status to even be brought into the conversation. Indeed, indeed. Um because like in it when I think of like the goats, 
you know, like, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire, they they did one, uh, Sweet Sweet, sweet Bad, yeah. you know, bad badass song. song. And actually, uh, That's the Way of the World. That album is actually a soundtrack to the movie, That's mm-hmm. the Way of the World, which is based loosely uh, on their origin. I've never seen the movie. I heard it's like one of the worst movies that you could ever possibly see. It's probably not released anywhere except for like Iceland or something. <laughs> see, there's part of there's one part of the thing that makes a great black exploitation soundtrack great. The movie fucking terrible. Yes, yes. But the soundtrack more than makes up for it. Like look at all of um Dolomite's movies. <laughs> like terrible from beginning to end. A terribly it's beautiful, basically. Terribly beautiful. Like, uh, what was the name of it? Petey Weesh? No, Not Human Petey Tornado. Weesh. Human Tornado. Yeah. When you having sex with the woman in the roof store cave. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? It was just terrible. He wasn't even moving his pelvis, bro. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But you listen to the soundtrack and it's awesome. It's banging. It is banging. It, it you know, is. it is. I mean, yeah, like you said, like not not just anybody could do a soundtrack. Because mm-hmm. certainly, of course, Curtis Mayfield. I mean, he's got a handful well, actually, of soundtracks. He really, when you look at it, mm-hmm. he's really laid the foundation for what a black movie, black exploitation soundtrack should be like. Like, he wrote two or three where he did the vocals, musical arrangements, and all this stuff. But it's like five or six others where he either yeah, wrote he, all he the produced songs and arranged, or he produced and arranged uh, everything. Sparkle. Sparkle. Claudine. Claudine. Um, he did a piece of the action. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it again, yes. which is just classic. Yes. He yes. got so many that he really just laid pretty much the bar for and I kind of consider him up there with Isaac Hayes to be probably the greatest of all time in the black exploitation soundtrack. Okay, I'll agree with that. I I will, I will agree to that okay. right there. I, I, I'll we put, can agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but of course, like you know, like I said, Isaac Hayes again, Truck Turner, of course, Shaft, the tough guys, the tough guys. <laughs> and yeah, he was three for three with that now. Yeah, you know, Shaft, the tough guys, Truck Turner. Matter of fact, Truck Turner. When you looking um. Adrian Young sound now. He borrowed oh, definitely. a whole yeah. lot yeah. from the tough guys and right. Truck Turner. Like they pretty much laid the foundation for his whole style of production now. Most definitely, most definitely. I, I will agree to that. Um who else? War. The Young Bloods. I didn't care for war. Yeah. Like dude. war never just grew on me. Yeah, man, listen. And you know what's cool? Like Who? uh Venom and I, we, we got to see them live. At the Coliseum. I had the chance to go with you. But I missed it some kind of way. And they, we got to hang backstage with them after the show. Oh, uh, work? Yeah, like they were trying to get weed from us, but we didn't have any. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I, I, one of the dudes, I think it wasn't the keyboard, that not, not Lonnie Jordan, but uh, I forget, the, he was a younger guy. He, um, yeah, he made a bong out of an apple. I believe. And uh, he was like, yo, man, y'all got something? Like, nah, man. <laughs> we ain't got he nothing. He had to be really young. But that was cool. We got to hang out with War. Um, so, yeah. Oh, and of course, uh, Willie Hutch. You know. He's still alive? No, Willie Hutch is gone, man. He's dead, man. I was about to 
about to say. He, he died maybe 2013, 2012, 2013. And ain't Juicy J like his nephew who got control of rights of all the production or something? Because. I was talking about that today on Twitter. Like, man, DJ Paul and Juicy J just went and took the whole entire Willie Hutch catalog and just made new Southern classics (laughs) from it. So, yeah. But, yeah, like Willie Hutch, the Mac. Uh, Foxy Brown. He's got a few. He's Soul a, yeah. Portrait. Um, Mark of the Beast. Yes. He has quite a few. Yes. Quite a few. Right, right, right. Matter of fact, um, the first song I danced to my danced to with my wife was I Choose You. I yeah. <laughs> right. So, I remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, man, he got a fun place in my heart. Yeah. That's what's up. So, <sighs> so you got, unlike my other guests on the Pitch <laughs> Podcast, and I tell everybody, you know, it's pretty much open format. And I'm going to have a few questions here and there. But we're just going to, you know, do like what we always do and mm-hmm. just talk. We can do that. But uh, Nathan went and got notes and everything like that because, like I said, he is a doctor. Uh, <laughs> and everything, okay. So he had to be prepared and everything. So uh, I'm just going to glance over here at this list that he has that he put together. Uh, and I see... <laughs> Okay, we can start there. We're we're gonna look at the elements of a good soundtrack. So, what 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 do you say are the elements of a good black exploitation soundtrack? I think you know when you very first start off, one of the key elements is that the content of the soundtrack matches the content of the movie. Most definitely, yes, yeah, got to. <clears throat> when we got into the '90s, we got into this, I guess, culture where it didn't matter what the hell the song was about, long as it was jamming, it was getting thrown onto a soundtrack. So you get a whole bunch of artists just putting out something, cobbling it together, and saying this is a soundtrack. Right. In actuality, it was not. Yeah, and I, and I would say that real quick. In, in the 90s, I, I can't think, in the 80s, but there weren't a whole mass of black movies mm-hmm. I can think of in the 80s, but like in the 90s, Along with that, you had a lot of, it was a a door or whatever for new cats to go through. You yeah. know, uh, a lot of artists who, you know, just getting signed to a label, you know, just coming out or whatever. And that was like their opportunity to really jump off uh, mm-hmm. through the soundtrack. So, yeah, it definitely left that format where you had one musician, one artist. One artist. Putting the whole thing together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that's that's true. What else you got? Uh, well, you know, just finishing off and it, like, it really got to flow in a real sequential order as to where you can actually listen to the soundtrack and see the movie play out just by hearing it. Hmm. And I mean, when you listen to the greats, you will know when there's a chase scene. You will know when there's right. a love making scene. You will know when there's a fight scene. You will know when there's a finale. And if you can just close your eyes and not even look at the movie, but figure out what happened and who it happened to and how it happened, and then go and watch the movie and be able to predict the movie based on the soundtrack, Yeah, that's a good soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, that's what's up. So the, the soundtrack itself told the story. Mm-hmm. All right, that's what's up. Yep. What else you got? When I also think about it, you got to look at it from the perspective that it's told. Like, when it comes to Superfly... Curtis Mayfield really did a master class with this soundtrack because he's actually involved in the story. He's telling it from his perspective of being, you know, this super fly pimp drug dealer or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
But when it really comes to just properly going to like new depths as far as, you know, being immersed in the movie, Trouble Man by Marvin Gaye mm. took it to a whole new level. Yes. <clears throat> took it to a whole yes. new level. Yes. Because he took it to a point where Marvin was really like, you know what, man, fuck what y'all doing. I ain't finna have a whole lot of words. I'm not finna be singing music. all over I'm this, right? I'm not finna be singing on this. I want to put together this arrangement, this orchestration, where you can feel everything he's going through and thinking at that moment. You feel the pain. You feel the frustration. You feel the happiness. You feel the confidence. You feel all those things and how he's shifting through the movie. Yes. And he only sings on there two times. Right, yeah, like the, the first song, and we're like close to the end, if I'm That's not mistaken. It. And that was like that was it, yeah. But you knew everything that character felt all throughout that movie, right? You like you were one with those emotions, yeah. And Curtis could paint the picture, but Marvin could make you feel it, right? I like that. Yep. Okay, that's what's up. Now the other thing I kind of have to get to is the album as a whole. Is this the situation where? We got this orchestrator coming in and laying down all the scene changes. And then we have some other artists coming in and throwing in, you know, some bangers or some singing parts. Or is this one whole album that's cohesive and flows from beginning to end? Hmm. Now, from time to time, you have a situation where there be uh, you know popular singers at a moment like the Marvelettes or the staple singers coming in and doing bit pieces and theme songs and stuff like that. Right. And then you get like a real orchestrator like JJ Johnson coming in and filling in the gaps. Yeah. Like that's what they did with um Cher from Africa. Which the singing parts are good, but when you listen to like the other parts, it's like, okay, you know, what's 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 really going on. Yeah. Yeah. So is that whole disjointed feel of two artists having to be put together in the same tank and you know good and well they didn't collaborate with each other. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. So you know I'm getting paid to do this and then you getting paid to do that. And then the other thing I probably would have to say is the key thing is how iconic is the theme song? Yes. Without question. How iconic Without is question. It? Like that that theme song that's got to grab you. It's got it's, to. It's got to it's end. Got it's got to. And when you think of the great like one's playing in my head right now is Coffee. Uh from Roy Ayers. It's I like do it. Yeah, I mean, but and that soundtrack is not as good, I wouldn't put that in my top uh, five. It's an atypical type of black exploitation soundtrack. Because he got, like, it's a lot of action in that movie. But he's playing soft He jazz. played cool, yeah. It was, like, real yeah. cool, uh, you know, that, that quote-unquote L.A. Yeah. West Coast jazz, and you know. I ain't but, a fan of that. Yeah. And then you got, <laughs> you got this sexy-ass black female lead who, okay, let's be honest. With she, a shotgun. With a shotgun. <laughs> who's topless a few times in the movie. More than a few. And you just playing it cool. Yeah. You can't play yeah. it cool when you see something like that. Right, right. Yeah, they're, they're on on that soundtrack. There, there's not an action song. Right. You know, everything like even even the uh, you know the scene where um, 
Oh, oh, I forget the, they, the name of it on the on the soundtrack. Something like Fighting Broads or something like that. I forget. I got it right. I, I got it right somewhere. Yeah, it's just like real cool when they that fight scene where the old girl stuck her hands in in Coffee's uh, wig and and got a handful of razor blades. Exactly. That song is like it's not a fight song. It's not a fight song <laughs> at all. At all. But the single Coffee. The song itself, yeah, that jams. That, okay, that, that jams. jams. <laughs> okay, well, they, they said that. That's the one. Like I said, you you said the 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 theme song has to rock. It has to. It has to. Yeah, because this is your superhero theme music, right? That's exactly what it is. Exactly. Like Superman just can't come out on no Migos beat. He can't do it. <laughs> you know he can't. He has to have something that's announcing the presence of greatness. Right, right, indeed. Okay, cool. So, let me ask you then. Right. Now we're going to go to this. The top five. Top five. Who, what, are, what are your top five black exploitation soundtracks? This was actually hard as hell. <laughs> I have to say, and I give you the reasons why. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Superfly number one. Because the storytelling, the production, immaculate from front to back. Like, he tells you the whole story. I remember being like a five-year-old little black bastard in West Jackson. <laughs> and when I heard Little Child Running Wild, mm. I feel like he's talking about me. And then when I watched the movie, I was like, oh, this is what I could be. Yeah. Because he showed the evolution of a character over the course of a soundtrack. And that's like the opening uh, song on the movie, too. Yeah, yeah that, that scene, yeah. And you don't get that too often. A lot of times you get the little character development and you get right into the meat of it. But he showed you the progression of a character from their beginning to their ultimate demise. Right. And you don't get that too often. Yeah. And I mean, it's Curtis Mayfield. True. I mean, it's Curtis. It's Curtis, right? Like the greatest. Curtis is one of the few people that, like, when they transition, like I didn't know him, I never met him or anything like that, mm-hmm. but I cried. Yeah, I cried when, and I was twenty, maybe nineteen, twenty years old. And he was the leader of an era, though. Yes, like he was to the seventies, what Prince was to the eighties, and what James Brown was to the sixties. I agree. Like he led that whole era. I would agree. And everything that came after him either had his influence or it was directly by him. Yeah. So he he was super important. That's and then, you know they played him cold when he got old. And you know, was out of touch with the time. You know, I'm kind of spiteful about it. <laughs> I ain't gonna get into that. <laughs> number two. Number two, I've had to say Trouble Man. And the reason being is because it's not too many times I can listen to a song without words and just be all the way emotionally fucked up. Mm. But you listen to Trouble Man and you take this emotional journey to places you don't want to go. Yeah. You can feel the you feel it. weight of the guilt that he's dealing with. You can feel the anger, the pain, the animosity, the hatred. You can feel all those emotions and it's too much to deal with. Now imagine if he put words on those songs. Oh. It would have been just overwhelmed. Mar- Marvin at that that stage in his life, if he put some words on that It would have been too much. It would have been too much. Ugh. 
like I listen to the album and I walk away feeling heavy. Yeah. Like I yeah. got another person's soul on my conscience. It's it's too much. Yeah. But it's it's immaculate. Like you can't even skip a song on there. No. Now when it comes to number three, I was real kind of tore up about this one. Mm-hmm. But I put Shaft. And the reason why I put Shaft is that when I was listening to it a few days ago, every time I played a song, I could name at least three other hip hop songs that sampled that right. one song. Exactly. <laughs> Just that one song. Exactly. His arrangements and movements on that album, they were divine. And then the damn theme song. Yeah. Which people who never even seen the never movie, seen Shaft don't know nothing about nothing. They know that theme song. Yes. They know that theme song. Like all they gotta hear is that bon chicka chong chong chong. That's it, that's all you need. That's all you need. And you take in there. And then it's one of those songs where when you hear it and you join in with it, you had the same confidence as John Shay. You know what I'm saying? So is 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 an immaculate type of soundtrack. That's what's up. Now this one number four, right? Number four, I'm gonna tell you the truth. I'm partial about this one. Okay. Mavis Staples. Really and truly, in my opinion, is second only to Aretha. I'm not going to that. That's yours. That, second so, only to Aretha. A piece of the action. Soul singing. I'm not even going to say piece of the action. Let's do it again. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's do it again. And guess who was produced? Curtis Ranger, Mayfield. Curtis Mayfield. Yep. So you get into this album. They were perfect together now that you think about it. Absolutely perfect. They were perfect. Mavis's voice and soul on she had a Curtis the voice, Mayfield. She had the voice he wished he had. Man, that is like, when you think about it. It was perfect. It's perfect. But then again, you got to look at just Curtis himself and the fact that he did this same damn thing with Aretha. With Aretha. And then Sparkle. went and did it again. With Gladys. With Gladys and the yep. Pips on Claudine. Yep. Hey man, <laughs> Curtis is that dude. What can you say? He's that what dude. What can you say? <laughs> He's that dude. So when you listen to Let's Do It Again, most soulful, funky, liveliest, just upbeat, uproarious soundtrack you're going to listen to, it mimics the movie perfectly. Yes. Because the movie just, you know, a half hair is a type of comedy, slapstick. This is exactly what the soundtrack is. You feel all those things, and you have a good time listening to it. Hmm. Now, this last one, shit, it was a tie, really. Let me tell you the truth. It's a tie between Willie Dynamite and Black Dynamite. Give my man some props. <laughs> shout out to Adrian Young, man. And <laughs> shout out to Adrian Young, man. Yeah, Adrian like, Young really has been hey, doing a clinic. Man, you remember we was in New Orleans, man. Oh, my goodness. I remember. <laughs> but you got to look at the fact that this man took a goddamn TV show and made a black exploitation soundtrack out of it with Luke Cage. Right. And people right. sleeping. They, man. Sleeping on that Luke Cage soundtrack man, so hard. Listen, people are sleeping on their whole camp. Adrian Young it's and Venice Dawn, man, true. like, so, uh, shout out to my homeboy Chris Garcia, bassist. Oh yeah, uh, for for um, for Adrian Young, 
Uh, his album that he just released uh, not too long ago. Which album? Uh, with the singer Harley Blue. I this, know what you talking this man. about. Man. <clears throat> <It was> Bruh. <laughs> that whole... They, they got it. They do. They got it. And they can sell it to whoever that, they want that to. That band, they, they got it. They do. Man. They do. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean... And, and it's like, because, you know, with, with, with Black Dynamite, I'm taking over your spot <laughs> right now. <laughs> but it's like, you know... It is it is obviously a satire, but it's even beyond a satire. It's a parody. It is it's a parody. It's a satire, but it's also a tribute. Like all yep. three, it's like all three rolled into one. But it would not have been what it was or what it is if not for the soundtrack mm-hmm. and Adrian Young staying true mm-hmm. to the the spirit. Of the black exploitation film, and he did he executed that perfectly. Like you, you couldn't find anybody better to do that. What what he did because I mean he went straight there. And and, and as a matter of fact, uh, you know he traveled up and down the state of California, going from flea market to flea market and yard sale to yard sale to get old equipment. Vintage equipment to record that, so it's like everything that you hear is like the 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 musical instruments that were used in the seventies in the black exploitation era. That so it's not yeah. like he got on the computer, you know, no, or some he, drum machine. That's not his style. No, no. I mean, he went straight straight to the core. Yeah, he's a real organic type of producer. He had this album come out a while ago. It just he came out with a sequel. I think it's something about April. Oh man, yes. Oh, yes. You know yeah, man, I got it. It got it signed. <laughs> <laughs> they, they signed it. <laughs> something about April. Yes. I can't even really describe it because it's really like a. It's a movie inside of a. It is. Trade. It is that like you you could write a movie based based on it. on that album. Yep, and it would just hold up perfectly. Right. And then oh. Well, we need to get it all off of Black Dynamite. <laughs> Black Dynamite. And this is the thing that gets me about this soundtrack. You listen to this soundtrack and it has the movie scene for scene for scene for scene for scene. And you listen to the soundtrack and you think they serious. Right, yeah. And then you watch the watch movie the- <laughs> and it's like, this was not that damn serious. <laughs> yeah. But that's how well but Jimmy's he dead, executed. right? Yeah, <laughs> Jimmy's dead. Like one of the most overused tropes in black exploitation. Right, movies. exactly. Your little brother get killed, and that's what sets you on the path. <laughs> but they executed it to a point where it's like, okay, you really thinking this is something legitimate, and it's just a parody of you know something wholly other, right? But at the same time, it can still hold up and stand on its own. Definitely, as a legitimate soundtrack that you can listen to from front and of the back. And it is. It is. It is. And I'll say that uh, I own on wax. I have the soundtrack, the score. I got the soundtrack and the score too. I got the picture disc. I did not have. <laughs> and I have the instrumentals. <laughs> I was gonna my... get the instrumental. I had but it was to. Like. I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> like for real though, and, and they know this. Like, if anything, Black Dynamite, I have to have it. Like Blu-ray, DVD. I got the bootleg. You know, the the, the uncut. You know, where they switched up some scenes. You know what I'm saying? That's what I had first. You know, comic books, all that. You know, 
But yeah, that's what's up. Okay. It, it really was a classic. Yes. My top five. Come on now. What's your top five? What you got her? My top five, Black Black Caesar's number yeah, one. See, Man, listen, cause, I cause such a problem. Be, I mean, for all the stuff that you said, it's like that that is it. It tells a story. Okay. I mean that that from from beginning to end, it is like instant funk. It tells a story, like it is is action. It's just cool. Like it fits the movie. And it's James Brown. <laughs> so and he was just like at his peak right there. That's true. So uh his his peak blackness uh on Black Caesar. That's my number one. What you got to say? Okay, this is my this is my <laughs> gripes about that movie. Well not that movie that sounded because the movie's a classic. When it comes to this soundtrack, it could have been any goddamn James Brown album. Any. What's your point? That's the whole point. <laughs> like But you know, what you call the payback was supposed to be a soundtrack. It was, but the movie never came. Yeah, out. so he just put it out and hey. And then, and that's the other part of it. It could have been the big payback. It could have been Slaughter's big ripoff. <laughs> it could have been any one of them albums. Hey, he just changed the title. But it's James. I know that, but at the same time, I was listening to it um, yesterday, as a matter of fact. And I'm like, I saw this movie. This don't happen this, you know, here. This don't happen <laughs> Oh, it's here. not in, like, order. No, no. it's in order. No, it's not in order. And then it but nevertheless. Sense. I mean, it, it don't even make sense at some time. <laughs> like, the song is jammed, especially on the one, what is it? Born on a Monday, shining the shoes on a Tuesday. Man. Jamming all the way through. Now, when I look at the movie, I'm like, I don't remember any of it. <laughs> <laughs> so... That was my problem. Hey, like the music. Black Caesar. Black Caesar was a classic. Movie. Number one, man. Number, number one. one. Okay. What's number number two? two is Curtis Superfly. No argument there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's perfect. It you is. Know? And, and really, my one and two is just a matter of preference. Not so much that Black Caesar is just ultimately better. It's just my preference. I get that. Okay. So that's my. Curtis my number two. All right. Uh, number three. Who are you finna say, bro? <laughs> I'm not gonna be sick. <laughs> Who are you finna say? Uh, number three. I, I I'm gonna go with Shaft. All right, all right. But it's like, it. and and I went back and listened to it again uh, yesterday morning when I was in the gym, and it's like. My only thing about Shaft is that it's it's, it's uh, accessible. That's my only thing with it. You know, it, it's like, it's so good that it's gotten into the wrong hands, if True. you feel what I'm saying. True. And so because of that, you know, it's like they just mimic yeah. and copy and, and kind of... You know, bastardize it, if you will. And, you know, he had to abandon that whole sound after he made the yeah. soundtrack. When you listen to the Tough Guys and Truck Turner, all three of those, all three of those albums going like different directions. Yeah, exactly. You know, so that that's that's number three. But hold on. Have you listened to, like, the extended cut deluxe version of that album? Yeah, yeah. That's my It's got some gems on Yeah, album. yeah, yeah. That, that's the one I was listening to, Okay. as a matter of fact. Um, cause I had listened to it in, in, in a minute. As a matter of mm-hmm. fact, 
uh, black history fact. I don't own it on vinyl. I own uh, Shaft's Big Score on vinyl. I don't have uh, the the first one, and I have uh, who? Shaft no, that, no, that, that's Superfly TNT. I have that on vinyl from Osa I get that on vinyl yeah. too. I've been so but, reluctant to play that. Album. But it's like I don't have the. Uh, it's not the Superfly TNT soundtrack. It's the. Uh, What's that? What's the name? Osabisa. I forget what the name. Something rock. I know. What you're yeah, the German release. That's uh, what I have. Yeah. It's ba- it's the same thing, but uh, yeah, that's that. All right, I can see that. I can see that. Number four, I'm going to go with the Mac soundtrack. Uh-uh. Willie Hutch, uh-uh. man, like because Look, I mean, uh-uh. it, it, go ahead and say it, what you want to say, man. Go it, ahead. It, it. I mean, if it's it's all the elements. Okay. okay, all your elements. It it does pass the the test. All right, the content is relevant. It's it 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 matches with the movie. Okay, from that first song to the last, it does. It does. All right. It's just not as strong it, as the other ones in there. I mean, and I know you and your brother are partially <laughs> sampling Willie Hutch. I didn't listen to all y'all niggas albums. I don't I think I did. He sampled it. He did, yeah. Now he, time. yeah. Now he has. He sampled it every album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I know what you're doing, Fifth Child. I, I, I see you, Steven Brown. You finna give all the secrets <laughs> away. All the Fifth Child samples. <laughs> yeah. But um. Uh, but yeah. I mean, it's like. I don't know. That it, it just that one just did something to me. Again, that's like a preference thing. You know, when when I when I listen to it, it it, it does. Past the test, the criteria, or whatever. Each song is 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 really good. It is. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just a preference. Maybe it's because the Mac is probably like my favorite black exploitation film. Like I could sit there and watch that one over and over again, which is what I did. I you know, <laughs> so so maybe that's what it is. Um, and number five, I, I, I will agree. I already know it's, it's Black Dynamite. Oh! But you thought it was gonna be something different? I, I'm gonna tell you the truth. I thought you were gonna say um, coffee by Roy Ayer. No, 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 no. Uh, again, like I said, I mean with with coffee, it, it's Roy Ayers is. I love boy. that's my boy. I, that's that, boy. I love Roy. I love Roy. I prepared myself. You know, he he turns uh, what seventy six, seventy seven this this year. Uh, I just prepared myself for whenever <laughs> that day comes. God bless his soul. I love Roy. I will protect him for as long as I can. But you know. I mean, the soundtrack, it, like you said, it does not fit the it movie. Doesn't. Like, Willie Hutch on Foxy Brown, that fit more of Pam Greer's characters more than uh, than Coffee. I mean, that, that song, Coffee, the song itself is jamming. It is. But uh, the soundtrack as a whole, it, it's just, it's really cool, like you said. It's too cool. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a part in there where she like cuts a dude dick out. Right. It's like, <laughs> like the music is too cool about that man. Like it need to be some sort of, you know, wah wahs Nothing that. You know, something. Uh, no, but she she spilled the, 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 the booze on old dude. Yeah. Like and the music some, just <laughs> Something needs to happen. This is a trip. Yeah, she was topless too many times in that movie for you just to play it cool. Like, yeah. I need to hear, like, some heat. The only two songs, really, that are, like, appropriate for that movie are, like, the 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 theme song and uh, the George. 
Yeah. <laughs> that, that that was appropriate. That they, they King George, that pimp, you know, when he came out there. You got to wait. I have my nephew over here invading the podcast. I'll, I'll fix you some, all right? Okay. okay. Okay, you see how we do, and he's sitting there giving my government name on the podcast and everything. <laughs> it's all good. So, what we're going to do, since he just came over here and asked for a peanut butter jelly sandwich, I'm going to be a good uncle and fix his kids a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And then we are going to do this mix, and then we're going to come back. I got my man Nathan Harper uh, right here on the Pitch Podcast with your host, Satchel Page. Bye. <laughs> 
Pitch Podcast with your host, Satchel Page. I'm here with uh, my guest, Dr. Nathan Ara Harper. <laughs> oh, you know, what's Ara? Oh, no, I ain't going to ask. You know what, man? It's, it's a love story. Like, I was, when I was a little kid, my nickname was P-Man. Uh-huh. I used to pee on people for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> and then R. Kelly came out with peeing on people. <laughs> you know, like, it's perfect. <laughs> Uh, the aura <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we're here uh and we've been talking about black exploitation soundtracks uh some of the greatest music that you will ever hear uh in your life um and we mentioned one of those artists uh being marvin Gaye. i guess i put him in number six Number the six. trouble, the trouble man soundtrack. It's so good, man. It like, it's just, so it's so good. good. It really is. Um, but uh, yeah, by the time you're hearing this podcast, hopefully, if you're checking us out, like you should be, um, uh, it will be celebrating. I guess uh, his seventy third. I guess what I was thinking. No, he's older than that. <clears throat> I thought it was seventy third. Born in thirty nine. I want to say, if I'm not mistaken. So it'd be like 76, 78? 78. 78, yeah. Yeah, 78 years. Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye, the legend, born uh, April the 2nd. Uh, untimely, untimely murder uh, yeah. on April 1st, the day before his yeah, uh, 45th birthday. Man, man they'll be playing around. Man, they, they cross dressing too. Yeah. Man, you know they're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, him and. Uh, my favorite is my this this is my Baba, if you will. Uh Gil Scott Heron, man. Uh, birthday April first. Yeah, April first. He was just like he's one of the most important black literary figures that there is. Oh, most definitely. And I think he gets shortchanged because of the heroin addiction he had. Amongst other things, yeah. I mean he didn't have the friendliest personality. But he could write them poems. Man, he, he, the poems, the songs. I mean, really one of the greatest writers, definitely in the last quarter of the century. Yeah. Hands down. I mean, Easy. easily one, one of the best writers ever. Um, I can say, like, for me, I mean, that's really, like, that's my muse as far as like my my writing style you know it it was it was always been about uh and no no lie when i when i wrote my book um for every rap that i wrote my whole thing was man if i ever got to meet gil scott heron i want him to hear this and i want to know what he thinks about it you know how how would he feel if he heard these words that's always been like my thing uh and I, I remember uh 
when he passed. Uh, I was telling my wife this <laughs> the other you day. You're emotional. Here. I really am, man. <laughs> no, seriously. Like when 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 he passed, I I sat in the man room in my little chair. I had a half bottle of Crown, uh, and I just played record after record, and just sat there and just listened to a man. I and hope <laughs> you didn't end it on Winter in America. <laughs> I did not. You know, I think I, I may have started it. with that. Yeah, because I mean, it was like it just, you know. But hey, so you you are also, like I said, a semi-retired poet. Yeah, semi. Yeah, talk to me about Gil, man. Gil for me. <clears throat> He was so damn no nonsense. Mm. And it's like, I'm one of those poets who I'm going to get you on the imagery. Or I'm going to just hit you so hard in your face, you ain't going to be able to just, you know, see anything else afterwards. Mm -hmm. But he was so in the pocket, right in the middle, straight to the point. Like when he talked about Whitey's on the moon, it wasn't no need for no damn imagery. (laughs) It wasn't any kind of need to look beyond his words and try to figure out where he's coming from. You knew right then and there, the government is more concerned about putting white people in space for frivolous peeing contests (laughs) than it is for making sure we got proper housing so the Reds ain't biting my sister and making her see. And he did it. And he did right. And that is his style perfectly. Yeah, you know when you mention that, and I, and I think of uh, it ain't no new thing, and how yeah. it's just straight up. White America is still in everything that black people do, and if you're gonna do that, why not steal some of this poverty? <laughs> you know, what I'm saying like, you know, it's it's truthfully they have is just in Eastern Europe, <laughs> which they don't put on mm. TV. Now, Eastern Europe look worse than a lot of parts of Africa now. But they don't glamorize it. But yeah. he had this... He was just so damn no-nonsense. He was like that drunk uncle who you hated to come around because you knew he was going to tell the truth on you. Right. You hated yeah. him coming around. Yeah, and ask you for $5 later when you get done. And he was still going to tell you the truth about yourself. <laughs> Even when he got the $5. When you think you paying this man to go on the other way, he's still going to tell you the truth about yourself. Yeah, that's it. And when he died, to a great degree, like the black arts lost his conscience and the person who kept him in line. Mm. Because a lot of times, I ain't even lying. Like, I've told you this. Because I've had to go after a few poets myself. Mm. It's a lot of poets out there living purely off of illusion. Yes. Purely off of yes. illusion. You get on stage and you do a black women empowerment poem. All the while, you done wrecked three niggas home. Mm-hmm. Now, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. See now. So, there's just the truth of the matter. <laughs> You're living this illusion where you're doing one thing on stage. You're living a whole other life off stage. Yeah, yeah. And he was one of those people, one of those real true gatekeepers where it's like, okay, this shit ain't flying. Right. I don't care how pretty it sounds. I don't care how much the people eating it up. This shit ain't flying. Yeah. And he was going to chin check you. Oh, yeah. He was going to put you out of business. Yeah. And we don't have that anymore. 
we do not have that anymore at all. What we got is a bunch of people trying to fuck each other mm-hmm. and do it in the most politically correct way possible. <laughs> and that is not even how you do that type of thing. That, that's a disrespectful art right there. Yes. And you got people buttering it up, making it into something it actually isn't because they want... They don't want the true works that comes from being an artist because Giva was pain. Oh man, listen, that that's the point I was getting ready to make. I mean, the thing about artists is that they are very sensitive to what is going on around them, mm-hmm. and like Gil was so sensitive to the conditions of black people in America that. Ultimately, that led to his demise. It, it really did. Because, you know, when the first time I heard uh, uh, Home is Where the Hatred is. Oh, my God. I ain't talking You know what I'm saying? And, and he is sitting here <sighs> talking about the dangers of heroin. As a kid. And, you know, and, and that is his song. And, and, uh, the um, get out of the ghetto blues where he, where he, he, he mentions that at the end of the song, you know, I know you think you're cool because you're shooting that stuff up your arm. Yeah. And it's like he was so sensitive to that. It's like that's ultimately what happened to him. And I was so shocked when, because this is like, when I found out, this is like internet was pretty much a new thing still. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. He's in jail? For what? For drugs? Yeah. Gil? Yeah. It's on drugs? Yeah. You know? Because I was... You know, I was 20. I was 19, 20 years old. So, again, like, I wasn't old enough at the time when he was, you know, really into it heavy in the 80s to know what was going on. You know, when I get older, I listen to his music and I'm just, like, marinating all his music. And then I find that I'm like, wait a minute, how, he can't be on drug like Gil. Yeah. But then it's like more mature I got, and I realized, you know, that's unfortunately that's what happens with a lot of artists. And and you know, yeah. same thing with Marvin Gaye. You know, we gotta talk about Marvin. Yeah, I mean, it's like you you so sensitive to to society and and, and the social ills and everything that's like that it that becomes you. You know, it kills you. It, it kills you, and you know, making that segue into Marvin. I mean, it's like, man, have you read uh, the book from Michael Eric Dyson? Mm-mm. Uh, it's it's a book, not quite a biography. I wouldn't call it that. More like an analysis of uh, Marvin Gaye and how his lifestyle connected to his music. Now I will say this about that because <clears throat> the information. I um, kind of gathered from is loosely based off of his life. Because when I was um, an intern at Pine Grove, mm-hmm. treating sex addiction and um, drug addiction there. Shout out to Tiger Woods. <laughs> I cannot confirm or deny it. But when we were um, down there, he was one of those people who would frequently come up. Because they say, if you want to see a sex addict, look at Marvin Gaye. Yeah. Look at him. Yeah, exactly. This was the dude who, let's be honest, mm-hmm. 
his wife, um, the one after he um, divorced. No, oh, she was 17 when he met her. She was actually younger. <laughs> well, he was seven. She's 17 years younger than him. I know. So they got married. Yeah, because he was 34. She was 17 when they got married. Yeah, and this was a guy who. I mean, it, it's so damn indescribable. He was trying to pimp her out to Teddy Pendergrass at one point. Wow. Just to emotionally blackmail her. Not only that, but he got sexual gratification off of it. Wow. That I did not know. Yeah. Wow. Like, it was several situations where he concocted where he was putting his wife, who he pretty much groomed in much of the same way pedophiles groom um, victims, in the proximity of Teddy Teddy Pendergrass so that Teddy Pendergrass could sleep with her. And all the time, he was snooping in and studying and watching this from afar. There was a few times he busted in on the hotel door like, I caught you. But he set it up. He set Pretty it he up. He set the whole scene up. Man, listen. But yeah, I mean, he... <laughs> no, listen. No, Neither one of us are going to sit here and say that Marvin Gaye... He's not perfect. <laughs> no, he's not perfect at all. And, and like I said, you know, so sensitive to, to social ills like... Man, that just batters you, and and knowing his upbringing, he was know, molested as a molested kid. As a kid. Father was severely abusive. Harsh. Yeah, just just straight up abusive with yeah. him. Uh, abusive Pentecostal cross dressing preacher. Uh, that's, that's too much. Man. You know, what I'm saying like that's that's how he grew up. Ugh. You know, that's how he grew up, and then dealing with his brother being sent off to uh to Vietnam. Uh, as well, and then you know there were all those questions about his sexuality too. Yeah, yeah, because you, you know they made him change his name from from Y Y to G A Y E G A Y E. Yeah, so all of that, and, and you know, and with Tammy Terrell yeah. and her past, I mean, she pretty she collapsed in his arms on stage. You know, what I'm saying? so so. I mean, died, it, yeah. it it's a lot yeah. that you know that he had to experience. And the and the thing that uh, Michael Eric Dyson mentioned in his book uh, about uh, his death concerning the circumstances around that, uh, he looked at it as, as like Marvin. It was Marvin's passive way of committing suicide because he he couldn't do it himself. Mm-mm. He couldn't do it himself, so. For whatever reason, you know, he picked the right time to go in there. You know, his dad is is beating on his mom or whatever. Pretty much the same thing that had been going on for his whole entire life. Yeah. And he goes in there and, you know, he beats the shit out of his dad. And then, you know, he goes and lays down in the bed yeah. after that. You know, he like, yeah, he, he knew what was he knew what was coming. And and I believe that, you know, it's like he just. Just fed up and like you know I, I'm, I mean you're doing so much cocaine, yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, doing so much cocaine and here you are you you are the legend, Marvin Gaye at your parents' house at your parents' in the house. house you grew up in. At your parents, I actually went in the house you grew up in because no, they had moved no, them no, out. Yeah, they, it was like a little brownstone or whatever, but. uh 
you at your parents' house. I mean, you got hit record after hit record. You just did tour, you know, overseas. And I think it was in Japan or something like that. And he comes back. Well, no, not it was in London. And, you know, you broke, you coked out. Yeah. You've been abused your whole... I mean, just battered. Just a battered life. Yeah. And you're just tired of it. So what do you do? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's just... I don't want to use the word ironic because it's like it actually happened. It's not some, you know, story or anything like that. But it's just... I don't know. The circumstances like your dad is the one that ends up killing you. I think his dad was trying to kill a part of himself by killing Marvin now. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. You know, there were things within himself that he saw in Marvin that he couldn't beat out of his wife. That right. he couldn't beat out of Marvin. Mm-hmm. And I think with him doing that to Marvin, that was his way of kind of finding some kind of reconciliation within his own soul. But at the end of the day, it really... It, it was just an ugly, tragic situation. Yes. Because Marvin had at least three more classics in him. Oh, easy. Uh, yeah. Easy. I think Mar- Marvin... <clears throat> Marvin, I believe, would have been the guy. I mean, he would have made it. He would have made it to 90. 90 what? 1990. I think right there, that would have been the cutoff point. Because at that, I'm thinking that New Jack Swing. Yeah, that, that came in. I don't, I don't think that would have fit him yeah. as well. He, he, he would, you know, I think he would try to probably try to bring something back. Maybe say 94, 95. Maybe try to take it back. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Ooh, man. <laughs> I just <laughs> thought about a Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye's voice over R. Kelly record. <laughs> that's, that's, that's too much. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that, that, that's way too That would be cold as hell, man. Like, <laughs> that... I still listen to R. Kelly, and I'm like, <laughs> all I can do is think about him peeing on the Like, you can't, oh. Oh, I mean, this was a guy who was musically illiterate, friggin' couldn't read or write a word, mm. and somehow became the greatest R and B artist of his generation. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you gotta applaud that kind of tenacity. Yeah. I mean, man, he peed on people, man. Yeah. yeah. Without permission. He he, he did it. And they yeah. were and, and and I I remember. Somebody, this was on Twitter, this like maybe five, six years ago or so. Uh, somebody had said that R. Kelly was to the 90s what Stevie Wonder was to the 70s. Okay, now that is just blasphemy. I, I had to agree with it. I have to. You had to agree with what? The blasphemy part? Or the other <laughs> part? What are you I'm just about? saying, like, I had to, like, R. Kelly in the 90s? Okay, think about it. Uh, does he have albums on his own? Yeah. Who who did he not write for in the nineties? That okay, wasn't a hit. I get your point. <laughs> okay. I get your point. I mean, it's like R. Kelly peed on young women. Yeah, I mean, it ain't actually the worst thing. It's very close. <laughs> I don't know, you know, Rick James, you know, the one in hostage and tortured for like a week. And, you know, burned it with a crack pipe. So I don't know if it's absolute words. It's up there, I mean, but it's you, not. You, you got pedophilia. 
Yeah, sexual assault. Yeah. You know, you get rape, <laughs> all of that with R. Kelly. And I never read like that transcript. I, that I, I couldn't, I don't think I could stomach it for just everybody's reaction to it. It's like, I'm not going to even bother reading that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like, but he's a musical genius. He is. There's no denying that. As a matter of fact, in the book, you need to check it out. Uh, Michael Eric Dyson, he, he interviewed R. Kelly. And that's the only person, well, other than like his, other than Marvin's family and like people that he worked with closely, that's the only other person that, that was interviewed in that book. Because they, they tied it, they tied them together, you know, it's like about basically, you know, their lifestyle. And he was sexually abused as a kid too. Yeah, you know, their their lifestyle and how, you know, aside from their lives, the kind of music they were able to make, this monumental, this great music. I mean, because I mean, let's be real, Marvin Gaye was able we we hold him in the light that he's in yeah. because that was the 60s and 70s. Marvin Gaye in a social media era? Yeah, that's a whole nother game. James Brown in the social James media Brown era. in the social media era. You know how many times James and Marvin would have got canceled? James Brown and Chris Brown could have went on tour together. You hear me? Like... So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, it, it, it's like, we, you know, Marvin, I mean, even Gil. We talking about Gil Scott. Same thing with Gil Scott Heron. Gil, on his very first album, one of his poems is, was it, and the story was Faggots. Yeah. That's the name of it. And the subject was faggots. I'm sorry. That's the name of the poem. And it's just, I went to this club and there was a whole bunch of homosexual guys yeah, of all types. And you just had to dig it to dig it. <laughs> you know? And that's what it is. But like, that was 1969. You know? Because you, you, when you think about it... <clears throat> Dave Chappelle being in like a whole lot of flake. Yeah. Off of his comedy special. And I would be honest with you, like some of the stuff he said about um transgender people, I have to agree with him on it. Mm. Like, I'm gonna be honest, I totally support LGBT community and right. everything they do. Shout out to ACLU, they're having uh the the trans gender uh, it's not a ball I forget what it is but it's that, it's that green ghost going on right now oh this was a yeah when it comes down to it I just can't believe everything I'm told yeah like I can do the pronouns that fit you as a person but like Chimamanda um Ngozi Adichie who I named my boy after what it boils down to is that at some point, I got to draw like a logical line mm. and be honest to you and myself when I say, okay, I can't follow you on this mm-hmm. because it's like, it's too. And I think that's okay. It's it's totally okay to disagree with like, why does everybody have to agree with everything that's supposed to be what's right? And, and my thing is it like, so, 
maybe like a month and a half or so ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, where I work, uh, a student came in who is going through the process. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and a born born a a woman, born a girl, right, becoming a man. And I've always known this person to be a woman. Yeah. Works at Kroger. I know you talking about. No. Yeah. And came into the office. Um, work study student came and said, Mr. Brown, uh, this student needs you to sign something. And she poked, you know, he poked his head in the door. I'm like, man, I'm not finna sign nothing for her. Just joking. Just making a joke because I know who this person is, you know. And then it was like, uh, excuse me, the correct pronoun is he. Oh, yeah. I'm and I'm like, hold, I'm, I'm like, my bad. And I said, excuse me. But I'm like, how do you expect me to know? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm like, you wear a ball cap on your head in a sports bra. How am I, like, at least respect me enough to like give me a heads up. Don't I mean don't take it so hard, you know, because I'm not like if that if that's what you're doing, that's your life. Hey, you ain't in my house. I really don't care. Yeah. You know? I'm 37 years old. Really? You know, I don't care. But uh but at least respect me enough to come at me and just say, "Hey, you know what? I know you don't know, but I'm going through the I don't know what kind of process you're going through. I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, did I assume that you were homosexual? Yeah. I mean, that's a fair, you know. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know what process you're going through. You know, I'm not there with you. It's it's a difficult difficult thing to nail down. Like, I deal. Yeah, and it is. Like, 80% of my clients come from the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. And it's like... Part of the ethics of being like a therapist, psychologist, counselor, whatever, you have to be authentic. Now, I can call you a trans woman. I can call you a trans man. But I can't make that leap from saying, okay, you're no longer a trans woman to a full-on woman. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. Because at one point, you were a dude, let's be honest, and you had the same privileges that all men are born with. Mm-hmm. Like you did not go through the same struggles that my mother and my sister and my wife went through. You, you didn't. You didn't bleed. You didn't you didn't bleed. You didn't give birth. You didn't do none of those things. I mean, you felt the way and you got your physical to mirror for the most part how you felt internally. Mm-hmm. But all the stripes that come with it, like nobody was cat calling you when you were, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Nobody was, you know, running up, grabbing your behind or whatever. In middle school. Yeah, right. making you feel uncomfortable and stuff right. like that. Like, yeah, it, yeah, it, it's, it's just one of those things that we are like so off subject. I don't know how we got <laughs> here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things like, hey, I can speak personally for me, and I would assume for you, because you yeah. are an intelligent person. We're not here trying to disrespect or discredit anybody and say that, you know, your lifestyle is not legit. Mm. You know, it, 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 it that's you. 
that's your real that's your reality that's your life experience and we respect that we you know encourage you to live your best life to the fullest yeah don't be an asshole <laughs> just just don't because not it i mean you lose a lot of people who are down the ride with you like that because not not everybody no is, especially is, that down here you know not everybody is, is against you not all the time and, mm. and that's just you know hey man you know Love on somebody. That's how I always end this show. Just, just love somebody, you know. Yeah. And 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 we we can get beyond that. We we can solve this stuff. But yeah. So Marvin, I love you. People say I look like you. I tend to agree sometimes. You, you most <laughs> of the people saying this. Stuff. Like, <laughs> I'm not actually. I heard it from somebody else. I did not look. That that was bestowed upon how me. You I did look, not, how you look like Marvin Gaye, Mose Diff, and Roy A. <laughs> like, how you look like all three of these people? I don't bro? know. I didn't say. I didn't come up with this. Okay, this is bestowed upon me. You know what I'm saying? I carry that burden. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, Gil, love you, man. Love you, man. Thank you for all the contributions uh, in the music. If you have you read the Nigger Factory yet? I have not. Okay. Man, I have not had any time. That's a very good. What is Nigger Factory about? Gil Scott Heron's. It's a satire on HBCUs that he wrote in the seventies or in the I early sixties, sixties or seventies. Yeah, it's like uh, it was. You know, the same time. As uh like Kent State and Jackson State, mm-hmm. so where the students like trying to take over the school, whatever, and that's basically that's what the book is about. That book is really good, really good, and yeah, I mean he 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 could have somebody could have bought that and made a movie out of it. He was he was really one of those figures though. He was he was one of those people. He didn't have the necessary, I guess, class background to put him on like that type of oh, platform. No, no. Cause really and truly, Gil was speaking from like the lowest depths of society. Yes. He and was he stayed there. He stayed he there stayed with the people. There. He was essentially an eloquent junkie. Yeah. And it's like those are the people people in power least want to have a voice. Mm-hmm. Especially somebody who can speak directly to a point, sidestep all of this imagery and wordplay and cadences and poetry voices and just <laughs> hit you in the face. Right. You don't want somebody like that having an opportunity to speak. Mm-mm. You just don't want it. Not a, not to the masses. No, especially not to the masses that's, you know, suffering from a heroin addiction. Right. Kind of like in this day and age mm. where, you know, heroin use has quintuple. Hmm. Go figure. Go figure. Go figure. Yeah, I mean, from what I hear, it's actually heroin in um, Hattiesburg at this point. Yeah, it is, yeah. And it's making its way up here. Yep. I mean, and black people, let me tell you this now, crack and heroin, those are two totally different games. Two totally different games. I don't want to play neither one of them games. Neither one of of those games. All right. This is The Pitch. We're going to wrap this up. The Pitch Podcast with your host, Satchel Page. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Harper, for being here, man. I love you, man. (laughs) Uh, You can check us out on iTunes. Uh, Just search 
the pitch podcast dope media network uh also check us out on satchel on the app just download the app on your phone search the pitch podcast as long as a bunch of other cool podcasts uh we ran this episode kind of long but it was good good talk always a good talk and we, we actually could be going on a whole lot further uh, than this but anyway love on somebody we get out of here Sunday morning, grandma's hands played a tambourine.